Fish On. This is the New York Angler Fishing Podcast, brought to you by nyangler.com, your secret spot online. Hosted by the man who introduced New Yorkers to the world of online fishing, Mr. George Skaka. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the New York Fishing Podcast. My name is George Scocker, and I'm your host. This podcast is brought to you by me and our friends over at nyangler.com. Make sure you stop by and register. We've got a lot to offer. This episode uh, is really a good one. We've uh, not that... Not that they all aren't, they're all good. Uh, But this one is quite revealing. uh, And we get a lot of insight on the role and activities which are conducted by the New York State DEC Marine Enforcement Team. It's very interesting. I know I found out a few things. There's something revealing there and in there that uh, I was a little surprised about regarding circle hooks. So make sure you listen to the interview. It's uh, it, it gives you a lot of insight into enforcement and what what it entails in the Marine District. Uh, before we go, I'd like to give you my open, or uh, as I used to say at Nori Saltwater, the uh, publisher's angle, so to speak. And I'd like to touch on, you know, we got striped bass, the season's opening up. Uh, it's it's open up in the Hudson River, and uh, we got about a week left before we can keep striped bass in the slot limit. So, look, we all know what's going to happen. Raritan Bay is already lit up with big fish ready to spawn. And for you anglers that enjoy that fishery, I can only give you advice. And my advice is uh, try not to show too many pictures of too many big fish that you're catching, taking out of the water, slobbing around on the deck, because there are many People out there, anglers, recreational anglers, um, commercial fishermen that want you out of this fishery altogether. They don't want you fishing during the spawn, period. So every photo you show, and I know, look, everybody's got a right to take a fish. I'm not a fish hugger. I was opposed to this and still opposes this uh, slot idea. I don't think it applies right. Uh, to striped bass Um, but in in any case we're doing it so don't give the naysayers any more uh, than they already have because I am telling you you know you have friends up and down the coast and people that support recreational fishing and the recreational industry and it's very easy for them to say Stop fishing the spawn because the spawn's not happening in their backyard. It's happening in our backyard. So we need to protect this fishery. We need to be able to continue to fish during the spawn. Um, I, I wish we would have been able to just keep the one fish and then move on. But, uh, you know, now you got to go through a slot. And when there's big fish around, it, it leads you into catch and release. And which isn't the best thing for the fish, but it's not the worst thing for the fish if we uh, keep it in the water or take pictures or just not show everyone what 
you know, what's going on because they're, you know, they're going to take that and multiply it by a gazillion and it just kind of sends the wrong message. But you know what? I say this, I, I'll admit, if I catch a 50-pound bass, it's going to be hard for me not to take that thing out of the water and take a picture of it. But the, my point is, you need to know, people up and down the coast are doing everything they can to try to stop us to fish this morning. I, you know, it's our right to fish it as of now. We need to protect that. The way I see it, the Hudson River fishery is, well, not just myself, scientists, stats, everything you can see. The Hudson River fishery is in the best shape it's ever been in, maybe since they're keeping records. So we've been doing it right here. This uh, slot thing, I don't know what what's going to turn out to happen with it, but... Um, You know, look, we wait a very long time for this year, this time of year, so we can get out there and get in on those big bass and, um, you know, cash in on the fishery that we have, the one big fishery that we have, which is, you know, that most anybody can get to, and that's striped bass. So, look... Take care of the fish when you're releasing it. Again, I'm not a fish hugger. I'm just stating the facts. If it should, a lot of these fish die and show up dead and rolling over, I could foresee uh, the commission saying, hey, look, this has to end. And as soon as somebody gets that slot in the boat, their fishing is done. So keep that in mind. In the meantime... Take care of the bass, especially during the spawn. You don't want to feed this any more than it's already being fed. Because I hear it up and down. I talk to people up and down the coast, and I can tell you, we are in the minority. Um, People do not want us fishing the spawn. So, with that said... Get out there, April 15th, you catch that keeper, and you just take care of all those big fish that you're going to be catching and releasing. Also, keep in mind, there's a new circle hook uh, rule in effect, and as you listen to this podcast, you're going to hear something surprising about that rule, and... It's coming straight from the horse's mouth. So uh, before I start the interview, I would like to thank Lieutenant Sean Riley for uh, agreeing to come on the podcast. And he really does uh, go into quite uh, some depth and he brings a lot of light on subjects that uh, I know are near and dear to many recreational fishermen. So, uh, without any further ado, here is Lieutenant Sean Riley. I am on the line with Lieutenant Sean Riley. He is the uh, Lieutenant from the Marine Enforcement Division. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Lieutenant, and thank you very much for uh, doing this podcast with us. Our, Our listeners, I'm sure, are very interested in you know, uh, knowing what the Marine Enforcement Division, you know, what uh, what they do, how much they cover, what areas. Uh, so we have we have a couple of questions for you. Um, 
the the first thing I wanted to ask is how many offices, marine offices, are there, and what type of geographic area are they covering? Obviously, it's in the marine district, but I was I was curious if it if striped bass also you know if they they were covering up there also and you know everything that they do it's so if you can give us an idea that would be great sure i'm glad to be with you today the so on region one which is nassau and suffolk counties we have uh four marine enforcement officers and me as a supervisor in New York City, which is five boroughs in there. We have four marine enforcement officers and a supervisor that just their job is to do the fishing and boating type enforcement. And then in addition to that, there's the sector officers, 15 officers in the city and 24 officers on Long Island for 20 officers on Long Island that uh, they do marine work, but they also have to do all the other parts of the ECL. So they don't get out all the time to do fishing type work. They have to deal with the less, you know, as I say, fun things such as idling diesels, solid waste, uh, you know, pesticides, wetlands protection, those kinds of things. Oh, so they, but, yeah, I never knew that they, uh, I thought there was like a separate, division for that so i guess not so they're really covering a lot how much shoreline is that do you know i mean it's over 230 miles of shoreline yeah and then you know all the water and we're also uh deputized as federal enforcement officers so we can go out 200 miles from shore uh doing enforcement like when we're doing tuna or some of looking at some of the trawlers that access some closed or protected areas and we've never been the full 200 miles offshore furthest i've made is about 70 miles yeah that's plenty (laughs) that's pretty much offshore you know there's something else that uh that i was totally unaware of so can you give us an idea on the you know, what you see overall as far as recreational anglers and, you know, the way they, do they stretch laws? Do they keep short fish? Are you, are you finding that they're mostly compliant? Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, how many how many things that, that they're actually out there finding, you know, how they... Uh, you know, if they're really looking at the saltwater uh, fishing registry, if, if you need to have that. And I, I think our listeners need to know the importance of that also. Uh, yes, we do check the marine registry. Uh, most of the fishermen we come across and of almost everyone is compliant with it. And that does come into possibly as future funding like how many fishermen we actually have in New York, calculating things like that. So that can be important when the federal government is looking to distribute a amount of fishery or funds. But even when it comes to the fishermen, most fishermen, glad to see us out there, enjoy us coming by to check them. Uh, I say at least 85% of the fishermen are you know out there, having some fun recreationally fishing and complying with our rules. There's some people that don't know and just need a little education. 
they may be new to fishing or new to the area and don't realize that possibly like New Jersey, the, the fluke size where they're used to fishing is different than New York. And some people that, you know, don't care. And then there's the people that claim to be recreational fishing who are like the black market style, you know, poachers that are selling their catch and will take whatever they can try and make money off of. Right. Right. Yeah. Those, I, you know, everyone calls those recreational fishermen selling their fish illegally. I, I, it's kind of an oxymoron. They're actually just outlaws selling fish illegally, period. Um, and, you know, it's good to know uh, that you folks are, you know, on top of that. Um, so the DEC tips line, right? That's one 332 for those of you that don't know it. Um, so... You know, I get a lot of comments and questions and things on, on the website that, oh, geez, I called the tip line and nobody followed up or I never heard back or, you know, I mean, I, I imagine you must get a lot of calls and the, the calls are probably going into one number and then they have to be pushed around in different areas. Um, do you do you guys respond well to the tips line or when I say yeah. respond well, is it something that's a priority? Yeah. You know, we we try to handle all uh, ongoing calls you know, immediately if we if we have someone available. But like if we get a call at twelve thirty at night that there's you know someone at fishing along the jetty at Jones Inlet keeping a bunch of striped bass, there may not be someone working and have the phone on to get that call. But it's definitely worth making the call when you see things happening. Okay, uh, it's, it's disappointing sometimes we get calls from people that. They'll call and they'll be like, yeah, I was out uh, two nights ago and I saw these people with nets doing things that didn't look right. And it's like, well, we're preferred if you called immediately and possibly we could have gotten someone out to you know, look into it. But all calls are worthwhile when they come into us. Information, even if we can't get there immediately, if we know that, you know, say, there's an area where people are going at at night with nets, we can, the officers can work that into their patrols, or if there's a, a boat at a, it's always in a certain area, if they have a good description, we can try and, you know, set up to watch for, you know, a boat returning to a certain marina that every afternoon seems to be loaded with blackfish and doesn't seem to be a commercial fisherman. You know, it could be they are commercial fishermen fishing out of a small recreational style boat, or it could be someone that is like the poacher. Right. But we right. do encourage people to call with any information or anytime they see something that just doesn't seem right to them. Okay, so I'm going to uh, look at one particular bust. You probably you probably won't know it, but you might. Um, where uh, last year in July. Um, ECOs Colton, Garen, and uh, Darren Milleron responded to a complaint. And, you know, I'm curious as to it that someone told them that they saw uh, people hiding garbage bags full of uh, short fluke. And they got there, uh, they found, I don't know, a bunch of fish that were, uh, I think, like 16 or 17 fish that were undersized and, uh, you know, hidden in a bag. So, you know, normally, like you had mentioned earlier, anglers, 
that keep, I feel, many angles that keep uh, some short fish are just not educated. But in this case, it's like totally obvious that they knew what they were doing. They're hiding the fish. And um, they were issued five tickets, right? So I was curious, you know, right away the reaction is it just doesn't seem to be, you know, a stiff enough fine. We don't even know how much a fine is, but it just doesn't uh, seem to fit the crime, right? So would you folks in that instance, do you uh, as an agency have the right to take possession of their uh, fishing equipment or let's say they had a boat, would you be able, do you have that right to, uh, you know, confiscate what they were using when they were catching the fish? If for regular fishing violations, we don't have the right to take boats towards forfeitures. Uh, we, if there's illegal gear being used, like they're operating an oversized same net or something like that that we will take as evidence and to towards the crime <laughs> uh, the fishing poles and things like that we usually don't take because that creates a nightmare of storing them and then having to return them once the case is settled when it comes to shellfish for certain violations of taking illegally by mechanical means or at night in uncertified areas, and uncertified is the areas that are polluted and not deemed safe to take the shellfish for people to be then eating. We uh, we do have the law for forfeiture there, and but we have to you know, then get this, the win the case in court and get the judge to then agree to the forfeiture. So there's a lot of steps. New York isn't a state like Florida that's known for seizing a lot of items, but you know, we we go with what we can and we bring it to court and try and win all our cases. Right, right. So speaking of that, there was also, uh, I was trying to find it for the interview, but I remember last year there were a couple of ECOs that uh, joined, actually went out in the water at night with like, numerous people that were illegally uh, crabbing, I believe, or maybe it was clamming, it was one or the other, and uh, they made like, they issued like over 50 citations, and there was just a huge number of illegal shellfish there. So, um, So like, that brings me to the undercover stuff that you guys do, right? So in this case, obviously, they dressed up like one of them, went out with them and um, proceeded to, you know, issue citations while it, while they were out there. Um, do you guys do that a lot? I mean, is there a lot of um, like undercover work, like you send people on party boats, on charter boats and things like that? Yeah, we have, in addition to the uniform officers that I described, we have two or three investigators which are like detectives for us in each of the regions and they will get involved in some bigger cases and mostly a solid waste but in a big fish investigation they'll help out as well but cases like you're discussing there we get complaints that like say canarsie pier or uh the or Capture of Babylon docks. There's people every night taking way more crabs than they should, or they're using illegal means to harvest them. Will then go down there 
to try and right, take an unmarked car with someone in that's not wearing a uniform and try and blend in or sit there and observe the activity because some of these places, as soon as you drive into a parking lot with a marked vehicle, everything's going to either go flying back into the water or people are just going to walk away from anything that they did have and we're not going to be able to make the case. And we've had some good nights with crabs or even the shellfish in Jamaica Bay, which is a big thing because it's not open because it's not deemed safe for those clams to be eaten. We'll get some people that aren't permitted that may have two or three people with thousands of clams that claim they're taking them for their own purposes, but we're assuming that we're going to be destined for some kind of market or restaurant, which we're glad when we can intercept those kinds of things and try and keep people healthier and stop the people from trying to profit off the illegal take of the fish or shellfish. Yeah, I mean, if if they were for the, their own consumption, a couple of thousand of them, I think they'd be glowing after they, after they ate all of them. So, because some of those areas, you know, look, I'm from the Nessequai. I mean, if, if you put your leg in the Nessequai, it's probably, you know, three foot of clam straight down. But, you know, you're not going to eat them out of there. You know, so um, I totally get that. All right, so... Uh, another thing. So back to the undercover stuff. So do you send people into a lot of uh, fish stores? Because, you know, we see a lot of that. It, it's harder now to know uh, what's legal and what isn't. And, you know, uh, but but a lot of times you, you go into uh, not that I've been in many of them, but I've seen photos of them and you see there's obviously short blackfish in the tanks um, or, you know, in many cases, I don't know, like if the fish market, how many they're even allowed to have. Um, do you guys look into that much um, or would that take like a DEC tip to say, hey, I was in this store and I saw, or do you randomly like walk in? Now, we do routine patrols for retail markets and wholesalers to check for compliance that the size of the fish that they have is proper and the season that they're not going to have any New York striped bass when our season's closed. And they, we get some complaints that people are confused. They see your know, 15-inch fluke at a place and assume that's short, right. but 14-inch is the legal commercial size. So sometimes there is confusion, but we always are glad if people see something that they don't think is right to call us and we will investigate. And we've had complaints of uh, where we've gotten large numbers of striped bass that weren't legally harvested out of, out of, out of market because someone was in there, saw a striped bass that didn't have the color tag in the mouth and thought, thought that was odd because they were used to seeing them that way and called and, you know, led to, you know, tickets being issued and fish being seized. Yeah, we look as rec as recreational fishermen. We love to hear that. Um, I know now that the uh, blackfish are going to have a similar tag system. So, I guess you're going to be looking for tags there too. Yes, and that the goal of the tags is to try and interrupt the black market for blackfish. 
and we there's sort of going to be a metal tag in the gill plate that will be serial numbered so we can tell who should have harvested that fish and that that hopefully will be a help because we've had people you know with hundreds of blackfish many undersized that were you know as you said calling themselves recreational fishermen but we know all those fish weren't destined for their kitchen table. They, right. they had some way to get rid of them, whether it's restaurants or a dealer that's willing to buy from people that they feel they can get, uh, you know, the dealer can get a cheaper price buying from someone who's not a legitimate fisherman. You know, they can hopefully increase their profit. And those are the kind of cases that we love to make because one, it's helping protect the commercial fishermen that are trying to follow the rules. And it often gets a nice story out there that people start telling and can maybe scare some other people away from trying to do the same thing. Right, right. Totally makes sense. So I have a couple of questions here from listeners. So let me see which one I like here. Okay, so there are times when you have joint operations with the Coast Guard and uh can you tell us the purpose behind that, uh, why you guys just wouldn't be out there on your own, why you would need the Coast Guard? Uh, we do joint patrols with Coast Guard with the towns and the counties uh, for multiple reasons. One, it could be they have a better platform if we want to you know, be underway for an extended period of time, that one of the larger boats might be better for that. We uh, use them to come along with us, sometimes help them because like their small boat might be down at a station, but they're limited on how many crew they have and they may be looking for a way to get you know out there to get their safety boardings done. The Coast Guard also uh, is a good resource for us to spread our patrols around. So if we wanted to go on a boat patrol where we take three ECOs, then if we have doing joint patrols with the Coast Guard and we work out of, say, you know, Jones Beach, Fire Island, and Shinnecock, we could have one ECO on each Coast Guard boat and cover a much larger area for things like when the, the tuna run is going and we're looking for people coming back being compliant with the bluefin size and possession limits. Right. That, that must be a, a tough undertaking. With the bluefin, especially. Um, so, okay, another question. When an ECO asks to come aboard, does the boat operator have to let him? Uh, the, the section that gives us outright boarding authority is actually for inspection for a head. Uh, so that's for state enforcement. If you're doing anything that would be federal uh, nexus of fisheries, like if you're doing tuna, where you're fishing for sea bass or fluke in outside the three-mile area, and we're under our federal enforcement, then you do have to let us inspect. But if we see you fishing, we have the right to ask questions, and the let's see you, you display a marine registry for us, a boat registration, or required safety equipment. And if any time during while we're asking these questions, we observe a violation or the suspicion arises that something's not right or that we need to investigate, then we can then get to the point where it's, you'll hear like the, you know, stop and frisk level in like when it comes like NYPD, mm-hmm. we have the right to then investigate further. 
And sometimes that comes from asking a question like, do you have any fish on board? And someone says, my favorite answer is not really. Right. I've had that multiple times. Someone says, not really. And then you know there's something they don't want us to see because otherwise the answer would have been no or not yet. But not really is not an answer that makes sense to that question. Absolutely. Sounds like a guilty party to me. <laughs> not really. Either you have a fish or you don't have a fish. Now, is it the yeah, right some size? Or say, no, I don't have any fish. And you look at the cooler and there's like four or five tails sticking out of it. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just bunker they have for bait, but obviously there's some kind of fish on that boat yeah yeah totally have to agree with that so then at that point you would say okay we're coming aboard i want to see what you have in there yes once we have a reasonable uh, belief that there may be a violation present we have the right to proceed with inspecting your you for your catch and any required documents you should have on you okay so uh a question about uh party boats and i guess charter boats so the, the law reads that the angler is responsible for the fish that they're keeping, right? So, um, you know, if I catch a, a fish and it's a half inch short and I keep that fish, I kept it short. Now, in on every party boat that I've ever been on and on every uh, charter boat I've ever been on, I have never been told by anyone oh it's a half inch short you know hang on to it they always tell you to throw them back so but what happens in a case and I'm not saying that it has ever happened because I don't know that it has where uh, someone on the boat a mate or someone says oh don't worry about it it's only eighth inch short and the guy keeps it and then you get on the boat and he gets bagged so it's, is that still his responsibility? Uh, the boat would be responsible, you know, once, like, it gets, definitely gets to the point where if they're filleting the fish or some boats, especially when it's warm out, might hold the fish in a, ice, a larger ice box in the back and give you a number tag so you can claim your fish at the end of the day, then the boat has accepted responsibility and we will look at the mate or the operator of that boat as being the responsible person. Wow. And we do get complaints from people that say, I went on uh, this boat on Friday and they told us, keep whatever you want. We don't care what the DEC says. Then we may look to try and do the undercover fishing with us or with the assistance of NOAA if it is a federally, you know, a federal boat to right. try and document how they are operating. Sometimes that leads to finding a boat that's filleting way too many short fish, or sometimes we'll go on boats and we'll leave the our people that are fishing will leave the boat and go. There was nothing wrong on that boat the entire day. And every short fish went back. The mates yelled at people that tried to put stuff into their own coolers. Because on some boats, the, the mates don't see a lot of the fish, especially when you're bottom fishing. Right. The porgies and sea bass working up really fast. People are just stuffing it into their own coolers. And then they are going to, the fisherman is responsible for his catch. So, so if the fisherman puts the fish in the coolers, and the uh, 
you know, mates or captain, do not, you know, fillet the fish. So then there, then the mates or, you know, the boat is not responsible. But as soon as a mate fillets a short, they are then responsible. Correct? Yeah, I, one, I never yeah, knew one, that. Yeah, once they do anything that they've then taken responsibility or possession of that fish, right, then they've become part of the violation. And then, right, they are liable for being possession of the undersized or over-limit sea bass or striped bass or whatever we might have right. on, on a vessel that often get filleted when they're caught outside the legal size. Right, right. So the now the fluke, uh, you know, like recreational anglers, we can't fully fluke without keeping the racks. That's the same way on a party boat, correct? Right, yeah. Recreational fishermen can't fillet fluke or striped bass when they're on the boat. Uh, permit holders can fillet and they have to keep the racks and they have to have the racks available until after everyone's left the boat and then get rid of them before they start fishing on the next trip. Okay. So that is a sometimes a problem when you board a boat and there's about 12 fish worth of fillets and there's only three racks to be seen on the boat, then we think that something was something wrong was happening with possibly filleting undersized fish. Right. Okay, so uh, I'm going to go back at this one more time, take another bite at it. Um, so when I fillet a fluke, right, so I fillet it up nice, let's say it's a, it's a legal fish. It always is a legal fish with me um, and the people I fish with and most people I fish, that I know. Um, but when I fillet it, you know, I take off that side rib, the two side ribs, right? Those are like perfect fluke bait. So the way I read it and the way I see it, I'm not allowed to use that, though. Is that correct? Because I, I kind of want to clear that up with people, uh, you know, that you're not supposed to, you can't fillet a fish the day before and then bring out strips to use for bait. Is that correct? Well, the way the, the regulations read, you can't fillet the brown side of a fluke while you're underway. You can cut the white side off if you want to use that for bait, but it doesn't actually prohibit from bringing uh, older pieces back and then it becomes a judgment issue if the officer believes you that you possess mutilated fluke that's from that day or from another day and often it's obvious when the guy you know, pulls out the Ziploc bag and you can tell that it's strips that have been frozen that you know this is not something he caught today and but it does get into that area where it could be off the discretion of possessing mutilated fluke that we don't have a body to, you know, measure for, you know, to know it was a legal size fish. Yeah, see, now that's interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that are saying, wow, I could keep those strips and use them, you know. Uh, that's 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 very interesting because I know most people won't bring them out, you know. They'll do like you said, and uh, they'll fillet a chunk off the back and use that. Um, but in the meantime, we're throwing out all this great bait. So that's uh, that's that's really Really good to know. So, just uh, if you're using that for striped bass bait, just now everyone's aware that the, the circle hook regulations are coming. So, if you're using uh, natural bait for uh, for striped bass, that it's going to require a circle hook. 
Right, right. I was I was actually going to ask if you, uh, if there was any, I know it's coming down any day now, and from what I understand, that is the description. It's, um, it, it kind of changed from the original uh, text, which I think was basically copied from the freshwater one side. Um, so, but from what I'm reading, if you could still find pork rind or if you have pork rind, Technically, you could still use that on, you know, the big deal. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people were questioning, you know, I use a jig, I tip it off with something, the fish, you know, it it can't get gutted, you know, it's a diamond jig. Um, So, you know, that was a stickler, that and the tube and worm, which we know you've already uh, approved, right? If, if I'm correct, you can still use a J-hook on a tube, tube and worm when you're trolling? Right. Yeah, originally, the, coming out of the Atlantic States uh, Commission, it was going to be anything that had natural bait was going to have to require a circle hook. And the technical committee took feedback from fishermen and went back and revised it. So if it's a lure, like you're tipping off, say, a, a umbrella rig or a bucktail with something that then that is exempt from the circle hook requirement. And uh, Connecticut, I think, already passed their circle hook. New York, it should be hopefully getting put into effect real soon. But the Atlantic states or mid-Atlantic commissions, when they come up with regulations, we then have to match them or we can be more strict and we're trying to on this to be take their language which it'll not be pork rinds or using anything that's not a marine bait won't be included so the circle hook is going to be for using worms uh you know bait fish or using chilies or spearing or using squid, but if you're using pork rinds or something that's not a marine bait, then that'll be exempt from it. But all lures will, as of the way it's going to be this year, will be exempt from circle hooks. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so yeah, now that we're on to uh, the big one, the striped bass. So the, you know, with the, with the slot fish, I've never been, I was never, I, I never liked the idea to slot, but that's my personal opinion. Um, so with the slot fish now, um, once you catch a slot and you put it in the boat, are you still able to continue fishing for striped bass? Yeah. Uh, the way our regs are, and you don't see a way that you can't continue to fish, but anything that you then hook must be released immediately without any unnecessary harm. So that would be, you know, no, no using a gas, uh, no, uh, you know, holding it out of the water for an extended period of time to, you know, to get, you know, 30 pictures with it before you release it. It's, uh, but so you're allowed the one fish to keep and then any fish after that per person would have to be released, you know, immediately without, without harm. Right. So, so again, I just realized something. So the, so what you're saying, um, getting back to the, to the circle hook thing. So if I'm using a, uh, if I'm, I'm fluke fishing and I have regular bait on my bucktail 
and a slot size striped bass catches, you know, I catch a slot size striped bass. So I'm allowed to keep that fish? Or does that fish have to be returned because it had bait on the bucktail? Right, but if you said you were using a bucktail, therefore a bucktail is a lure, so then that would not require the circle hook. Okay. But if you're using a, a, a weight with a, you know, sliding, uh, you know, a sliding uh, lo- uh, bait with a J-hook for bluefish and you catch the striped bass, then you would have to release that. Or if you're using just a regular, you know, naked uh, mustad hook with some spearing on it with squid and you catch the striped bass with that, then you would have to release it. Yeah, boy, we we really have to trust the angler a lot in that regulation. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, I, I actually, most of these are... I'm not going to say volunteer, but, you know, look, you don't have the greatest, the, the largest staff. You can't, can, you can never afford to uh, patrol every inch. So there's always going to be people that in that case, they're going to say, well, geez, you know, I caught the fish anyway. Um, and I'm not agreeing with it, but I'm sure that's going to be the thought pattern. So, all right. So is there anything else that you could tell us about, uh, the charge of the ACOs and what else they do, things that uh, maybe my listeners aren't aware of? Well, something that's been big the past year is helping out with a lot of the COVID sites. That's taken a lot of ACOs into help with the other agencies that normally do that work to run some of the testing and some of the vaccination sites. But most of all, uh, work is the hunting and fishing enforcement, the old game protector job. But as I said before, diesel emissions are a big thing in the metro areas. Solid waste enforcement, like people saw, we had lots of, you know, dirty fill coming out from New York City that was being dumped all around Long Island. Some people were getting onto that property thinking that it was clean sand or dirt that they were going to, say, fill in that pool with, and it turns out that it was laden with, you know, contamination because it was an industrial area in Brooklyn that it came from. Another, you know, a lot of our time is spent uh, doing... Homeland Security style work of radiation detection. We're one of the lead agencies for doing that. Wow. Uh, we do that on the water and on land. We'll participate in, in drills and details where we'll set up to try and do mock intercepts of, you know, say, someone was trying to bring in an illicit radiation source to towards New York City to make a dirty bomb. To tr- If we have intel, we could possibly intercept it before it gets there. And pesticides, like this time of year, is a big thing, making sure the landscapers that are applying it are properly licensed and following the rules so we don't have issues where people's dogs or children possibly get sick from that. And then another big thing for Long Island is, you know, the wetlands protection, fresh water and salt water. That if people are doing work in their backyards that's not bulkheaded, that they're not going to do something that's going to then, you know, have harm to the natural grasses that are there that help the birds and the fish have breeding areas or possibly destroy, you know, sensitive wetlands that there's species that are needed to be protected 
for their benefit to the environment. Well, that's great. Hey, I have one more question for you. Were you guys involved in that uh, that guy that was selling the sharks that he was keeping up in? Uh, I don't know. It was in Dutchess County, and he, he was he was selling those sandbar sharks. Yes, uh, it was a Georgia officer actually called me uh, because they had this guy that they stopped. He got stopped by a by a cop who a regular violation and they're like what do you have back there and it's like oh sharks so that seemed weird so they they called the the, the fish and wildlife officer in georgia and he called me me because the guy was from new york and that led to like where in new york is he from and unfortunately from it was up in dutchess county so i didn't get to be directly involved but yes we did end up uh the DC was involved with this person who was catching his own sharks down south, bringing them up here, putting them in tanks, and then possibly selling them to aquariums or other people that wanted to have a unique thing of having their own sharks swimming around in, in a, <laughs> a like he had a tank in the garage or the basement. I but, saw, yeah, that, yeah, was, I, that was different. I saw a photo of like he had a big round pool. And he had like six sharks and they're swimming. And I'm like, what are people that are going to buy a shark? Don't they realize it's going to grow? It's, it's, yeah. I mean, they weren't that large, but, uh, well, anyway, if you, you can catch him, you folks can catch anybody. And to think that that originated down in, in Georgia is, uh, just cool. on a traffic stop. <laughs> that is quite impressive. I, I mean, if I like, I saw, I actually saw a picture where like you could see the shark like in the window of the side of the, of the truck. And uh, somebody must have been like, what the heck? So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that, that was very interesting. The, to me, the sad part is, and again, you have nothing to do with this, is they find the guy five grand and uh, he's. It's got to be just part of doing business, like, because I think he had a record on this that he had done it once before or something. And uh, so, you know, he's probably just going to go back and do the same thing. Hopefully you'll catch him again. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so, yeah, listen, uh, Lieutenant Riley, that, I really appreciate this interview. I believe uh, we have brought some light on, you know, what you folks do and, you know, that you're, uh, that, that, you know, you have quite a team there and that you're definitely understaffed and we need like double or triple the offices there one day and uh, it, someday it'll happen. Yeah, we, but we, we have a good number, good officers on Long Island, New York City that are out there doing their job and trying to, catch as many bad guys as they can. That's great. Well, keep up the good work and uh, don't let this striped bass thing get everybody too crazy because it's it's going to be <laughs> very confusing. <laughs> so, uh, but again, thank you for the interview. I really appreciate it. I hope to talk to you in the future. And if there's anything that we can ever do to help you get a word out, please let me know. All right. Thanks for your time. Uh, So there you have it, New York anglers, straight from the horse's mouth. Very nice gentleman. Gave us a lot of information. As you can see, they really do a lot 
Uh, you know, a lot more than uh, than they can handle when you think that there's over half a million uh, recreational saltwater fishermen here in the New York district. Well, this wraps up another episode. I do want you to know I'm, I'm getting ready for a series on what's going on with our uh, fluke, our, the flatfish situation, and it's very, very involved. And I'm sure there's going to be the naysayers out there saying I'm out of my mind, but these are clear facts that we cannot deny. And I will uh, leave that off with the fact that fluke are moving north. And they just keep going further and further, as do sea bass. And th- this is a fact. This is happening. I am, uh, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, a denier. Our climate is changing. I don't know that we as humans are causing the change, but it is changing. And in the Northeast, uh, the way we sit and the way the land is and the way the Gulf Stream goes. Uh, we've ended up in a pocket of water that's mu- that's warming much faster than the rest of the coast. And I have been uh, studying this now for two months, and I have spoken with quite a few scientists, and I think you, you're going to be surprised and in some case saddened by, uh, by what I have found. So... <clears throat> We're also going to be bringing you fishing updates beginning this, you know, next week uh, where, you know, I'm putting on some uh, pro staffers. If you're interested in joining the pro staff, please give us a call or, you know, shoot me an email and uh, I will get back to you. And uh, that's about a wrap. Again, I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Keep on subscribing as we grow and grow and grow and please review it and of course we need five stars so thanks again all you new york anglers until next time thank you for listening to the new york angler podcast you can find more on fishing new york waters at nyangler.com your secret spot online